Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. If you would like It's Not About Food podcasts a week earlier and ad-free, please support me on patreon.com forward slash It's Not About Food. For more information about my books, my work, and my body love cards, you can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello everyone, this is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to talk about feelings and fat thoughts. Ah! And I have my most special guest here today, my business partner and partner in crime and all things of the heart, <laughs> Carol Normandy. And we're going to talk about this, about the phenomenon of if you have feelings, then a lot of times they turn into fat thoughts, which then makes us feel like we need to do something about that. So on the back of the card, fat thoughts are the kind of thoughts we have when we are criticizing our bodies, calling them too fat, too ugly, too big, or too whatever. These thoughts are learned from our culture's fat prejudice and body hatred. Sometimes when we are young and experience shame or uncomfortable feelings, we change them into body hatred. When we begin to understand that our fat thoughts and body hatred are learned, then we can take the blame off our body and process the deeper feelings in far more constructive and fulfilling ways. And the front of the card is the goddess is standing sort of with this giant circle around her head, like a thought bubble that just is these feelings and these fat thoughts are just going around and around. And, you know, it gets very confusing. Am I fat or am I upset? Am I sad or am I too big? Am I angry or am I feeling like I need to go on a diet, or I'm too thin, or my chest is too flat, or my butt's too big, or what's going on with me? So it can get very confusing, and it ties in with the diet industry that does say, you know, you'll feel so much better if you're really thin and on a diet, when maybe we'll feel so much better if we just let ourselves have our feeling. What a concept that would be. So I have the other person who writes these cards with me, who wrote them with me, and came up with a lot of the ideas of what the goddess needed to look like, not too fat, not too thin, not too tall, not too short, not too big, not too round, not too, you know, whatever. We really worked on that a lot. And then, of course, the little deer animal, power animal is always with her. And on this card, the deer power animal has a question mark on her head. 
So I want to introduce Carol Normandy, the co-author of It's Not About Food, also over it, our teen book, which is great, and also the Body Love Cards and Beyond Hunger that we had since 1988, which was pretty crazy because we were really small and in kindergarten then. So I want to introduce Carol and have her talk about how she sees this coming up in her own life with her clients, you know, these feelings and fat thoughts phenomenon. Hi, Carol. Hi, Laura Lee. Thanks. Well, it's interesting as you were reading that, I was thinking about how it's changed since we've written that card. When we wrote that card, we focused on fat thoughts, but now it has just expanded to all kinds of critical body thoughts. Right. It's no longer just how fat or thin we are. It's the Botox. It's the hair graying. It's the wrinkles. Now, part of this is because you and I are aging. So mm-hmm. we're in this <laughs> other pressure of bias against aging wisdom elders. But also it's because of the capitalist system that is promoting has become really sophisticated in promoting beauty and needing people to buy beauty products. And then the plastic surgery market, which has just expanded so much in terms of everything. And so young people today, it's very common for them to get plastic surgery, whereas when you and I were younger, it was only if you'd had some kind of accident and you needed you know, fix the scars on your face or something like that. So the thoughts that come through our head that are critical about our body are just about every part of our body. And it's really intense and therefore very oppressive. And you're so on the nosy. Also, I was watching the Oscars last night and you think, does that person look like that? Or is that Botox or... Has she had some work done? And then how many spanks is she wearing? And (laughs) do they have tape on her eyes? You know, like I didn't really think about that when I started watching the Oscars, which was probably in the 70s or so. And we cannot believe our eyes, kind of. That's what they look like, or is it? We don't know. And Jamie Lee Curtis, who won Best Supporting Actress, she has that lovely article, I don't know if you remember that, about her showing what she looks like when she's been filtered and done and what she looks like in real life in her underpants. (laughs) It's just a great... It is a great great article. (laughs) But I did notice, like, she was one of the people who had her wrinkles all over her face showing. And I'm sure lots of hair and makeup and all kinds of stuff and probably spanks. You know, they seem to all wear that. And if you want to do that, that's fine with me. I don't care. But I think I would love it if we could see more people how they really look. We get to see the men like that, a lot of them. What's his name from Star Wars? He looks like himself. <laughs> you know, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the difference between men and women, because I think there's a really significant difference when it comes to our fat thoughts and critical body thoughts, which is... First of all, we understand that men are under more pressure to have a certain body type and the rates of eating disorder among men have increased significantly, but still the majority of women have eating disorders. So can we understand this as historical trauma and historical oppression of women, that this is the way we survive by trying to have some kind of self-worth connected to our beauty? 
So the constant looking in the mirror and instead of you and I've done a lot of this work, Laura Lee, the mirror work, instead of saying, oh, how beautiful you are, what a lovely day it is, so nice to see you, you know, what great work you're doing in the world. We say, oh my God, I can't believe this eyebrow or this lip or this belly or whatever. And that's just our internalized oppression from the trauma of being oppressed. You know, we don't have to go back very many generations to the point where we were property of men and we couldn't vote. So the fat thoughts that come up are oftentimes related to feelings that arise of shame or embarrassment or discomfort or anger about being in a situation, or the thoughts come in because we're conditioned for those thoughts. And then those thoughts trigger the feelings of shame or embarrassment or not being enough. That's right. And I do have a friend who is a plastic surgeon the way he's my friend is I had some arthritis in my hand and he did a hand surgery. So I met him and he really loved what we were doing with Beyond Hunger. And he became somebody who always supported us all the time and gave us gifts to do on our fundraising and money, you know, whatever. But he told me that maybe a couple of years ago, he started seeing these young women come in, young girls really, with a picture of themselves filtered, and they kind of look like a bunny. <laughs> and he said, they go, I'd like to look like this. And he was like, but that's an animal. That's a bunny. <laughs> I can't make you look like a bunny. <laughs> Can I talk to your mom? You know? <laughs> and we laugh at it, but that poor girl who really somehow feels that she would be better off if she looked like this filter. And then, like last year, one of the peer educators told me, you can go in and filter your senior picture. You can make yourself look better in your senior picture. And I was like, you guys look great. <laughs> you know, you're, you're beautiful. You're young and strong and fabulous. Why would you want to do that? Well, everybody does it. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. So we are in this age of achieving perfectionism about our image and what we look like and posting it and being out there in the world. But what that creates is us living 10 feet from ourselves. We're not really connected to our authentic human body and the experience manifested in this human body. That's right. And somehow we're going to be better if we get transformed into something else, a bunny. (laughs) We'll be better and therefore we'll be, you know, accepted. But the challenging part is that that's just this black hole because until we have a loving, kind and compassionate relationship with ourselves and our inner being, we will be chasing that dragon forever. So all that energy put into trying to perfect our image is understandable, right? Because that's what we're taught and how we're conditioned. But it's chasing the dragging, meaning it's not going to leave us to happiness. And it's never going to end. It's not. And other cultures or other countries, I should say, I mean, they have whatever, but maybe not the quite the same ideal, have other ideals. 
But somebody said, there's countries, they're not worried about what they look like. And I said, some countries, everybody's starving. <laughs> so, you know, they are more concerned about living. You know, they have no food rather than they say that they're not going to eat any food because they want to look like those people that are starving, which I understand that because there was a time in my anorexia, I wanted to look like Karen Carpenter, but not die. I wanted to be right on that edge. So I thought that was a good thing. (laughs) Anyway, so how do we navigate through? How do we tell people to navigate through these feelings and fat thoughts? What do they do with them? I mean, I think the obvious answer is don't believe everything you think. (laughs) You know, know, try to get to what's the feeling underneath this thought? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Lorley, I was thinking about this and thinking about uh, when we started our work and we had this kind of prescription to follow. And later on in my life, I started studying mindfulness and got certified in teaching mindfulness and realized it's just a very similar process, which is we can't make any significant changes in ourselves until we develop this capacity to be aware of what's going on in our mind and heart and body. Mm, So good. So true. And it's so hard to be aware unless we're kind with ourselves. And so what we've written in our book, and I think this, you know, the teaching of mindfulness is that it's really important to develop this kind, open-hearted, compassionate response, and then watch and be aware of what's arising without judgment. And then question, does this make sense? Is this true? Is this true about me? Would this be true about someone else that I'm looking at? And until we can start watching what's in our mind and our bodies, we can't really stop or change it. And then once we're aware, boy, I mean, I don't know about you, but my critical thoughts are flying even after all these years of work a thousand times a minute. And I don't buy into them like I used to. It's just how we're wired. Our mind's wired to be constantly evaluating and judging. So then the work is to say, okay, here's this thought that's arising. In response to that thought, I feel bad. I feel shameful. This is what it feels like in my body. How do I shift this? How do I reframe the thought? How do I shift the feeling in the body? How do I access my heart? And then we come to what you and I wrote a lot about, which is the reparenting you know, which is engaging that nurturing part of ourselves and talking to ourselves like we would a beautiful daughter, four-year-old who was just starting to learning the concepts of hating her body. And what would we say to her if she was looking in the mirror and saying, I'm too fat or I'm so ugly or I wish I didn't have freckles? How do we do that? If you would like to have a weekly newsletter that has some information about recovery, or what people are doing in the world, or what I'm doing in the world, and just information about how to recover and what to do, and how do we have faith and trust and love and openness to our own selves. You can go to my website at itsnotaboutfood.com. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Storygram Network.
I joined Beyond Hunger about three years ago after my own eating disorder recovery. I've been with the Peer Ed program for over a year. I have been a peer educator for a few weeks now. Beyond Hunger is an amazing organization in which high schoolers like me get to go to schools across the Bay Area and educate teens and students on mental health, body image, intuitive eating. And I joined because it really helps people. I joined the program because I believe that the information we provide people my age is very important. Beyond Hunger has allowed me to connect with the youth in my community and reaffirm to myself what I know is true. It has given me an opportunity to educate others and inform others around my age. Um, and I just think it's a really wonderful program. Because I want to teach other teens what I never learned appreciating your body through its ups and downs, navigating di diet culture, and learning about intuitive emotions and hunger. And I felt that it was super important to continue to make change in the community. My name is Laura Lee Rourke, and I am one of the founders of Beyond Hunger. My business partner, Carol Normandy, and I founded it in 1988. But for the last 25 years, we've been going into schools and talking about the issue of eating disorders and body hatred. We um, train young women to go in with us, peer to peer, student to student, and it is a wonderful program. Please give generously. Thank you. And we have to be willing to challenge those little girls and ourselves too, because I know there's some mothers that believe that their daughters do have fat and that they shouldn't have it. I can remember a family member who was put on a diet at a very young age, and she told me, my mom said I can't eat any more carbs. I said, really? And she goes, but I don't really know what is a carb. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even listen to that. <laughs> don't, don't even listen to that. Try to be stronger. <laughs> you know, you're fine the way you are. I don't know where this is coming from, but you're so funny and sweet and cute and loving and kind. And I just love hanging out with you. So I'm sorry that's being already told to you. I'm sorry. And I don't know if I gave her a good answer, but... And that mother in my family always thought she was too fat. And her mother thought she was too fat. And on and on and on. And my mother thought everybody was too fat, including herself. So it was very hard to go through this familiar generations of women that were always thinking they weren't okay. Right. And of course they were thinking they weren't okay because they weren't valued for anything other than their looks. Now that was what their value was. So their survival, their self-esteem was based on what they looked like or how clean a house they kept or, you know, whatever it was in the oppressive culture. Yeah. When somebody has put these fat thoughts into your head at a young age and in my family, feelings were not as important as what you look like. What you thought or what you felt was not as important as what you look like. How do we get through to that? How do we get through that? You are body, mind, and spirit, but you're not only a body. You have spirits, you have minds, you have feelings. What are you going to do with that? Right. Well, I think that it's to challenge our body hatred is a radical act. 
And it's an act of opposing the internalized oppression. And every time we do it, we're taking that step of saying, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. And I'm going to choose to see it differently. And it's not easy. So it really is a worthy battle, you know, to be able to really take the time to pay attention and then be thoughtful about what is our response going to be to this. And as we start to practice a more loving, kind, compassionate response to ourselves and to our body, then we repair that wounding in our mind, body, soul, and we start to create another way of being in the world, which I think is not separate from all the other ways we're in the world with the earth body. And just to make, you know, this existential connection, right, is that here we are today, our planet is at risk, humans are at risk of extinction because of how we have ignored and misunderstood and mistreated the earth body. You know, how many people end up in the hospital dying because they've ignored and mistreated their physical body, right? Yes, of course. It's like, what happened that your heart attacked you? (laughs) You know, what's happening with you? It just goes into this huge, big, giant ball that's hard to understand. And when I go into schools and talk about this issue with the peer educators, we challenge them to think about challenging their fat thoughts. Who said that you're fat? What is that? Are you going to trust that person about everything? I mean, what do you think? What do you think, you know, underneath it all? Like if you were a little baby, would you be okay with it? I think you would. And because they're so much closer to the age that we're going into, the peer educators, they just pop the bubble, you know, (laughs) and say, this happened to me. Right. And our youth now, especially in the area we live, but I think more so across the country, are more able and understanding of this concept of internalized bias, right? Whether it be about race or religion or sexuality or sexual preference, gender identity, whatever it is, that there's more of an awareness around understanding that we all have some kind of internal bias and how we act it out. Internal bias about body type is something that isn't taught as much. Thank God as you're in the classes teaching it. But it's a similar process, which is, how did you swallow this truth? Where did you learn this truth? And how do you understand that it is this conditioned mind that you've been taught? And how do you take an active step to fight it? Yeah, I feel like my job is to radicalize all the ninth graders in every school I go into. (laughs) They're not already. With people of their own age. (laughs) Yeah, and I've seen a number of peer educators that have gone through their own recovery that have come in to work for you and Beyond Hunger. And what I know about that is that it helps them to be in there talking about it because it reinforces their own recovery. We need a community of people to reinforce this because if we don't, then what happens is we walk out into the world or we pick up our phone and boom, the messages are just bombarding us over and over again. Yeah. And we as adults, I guess, and older people, I can't even keep up with what there is out there. 
but they are on it. They know. They're in it. So they're swimming in that ocean. And I'm like, what? What's that called? (laughs) You know, really? Oh, my God. So I do know that, like me, you know, we continue our work. We're never going to retire, I guess, as long as we live. But I do want to ask you or I want you to talk about what you've been doing these last couple of years with your wonderful, fantastic work. Well, I have a very small, limited private practice right now, and I've been running Amrita Eating Disorder Treatment, which is an intensive outpatient program for people with eating disorders, and that's been taking a lot of my time. And I've also been studying mindfulness and got certified in mindfulness teacher training. And I'm also right now in a Buddhist eco-chaplaincy training, which is a year and a half training, which I'm doing because I'm starting to shift my perspective into wanting to do something for the planet while I have a little bit of time left. So this is kind of all of who I am right now. Who knew when I was 22 and hitting bottom with my eating disorder and having a completely different career that I'd end up doing this? No, I think of both of us on different coasts (laughs) or be in the middle of Texas and you hear of starving or bulimia, anorexia, compulsive overeating, whatever it was that was up for both of us or one of us, I thought, once a waitress, always a waitress, I guess. <laughs> you know, that's all I'll do. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that I it was so limited in what I thought I could do because I had a like a terminal illness and I had no idea that I did and no idea how to get out of it. Yeah. So, yay for us (laughs) and for everyone else that gets into recovery. So, I'm wondering if you will read the back of the card, the Today I Will. Today, when I have fat thoughts, I will practice noticing where I learn these thoughts. And if there are any feelings connected to these thoughts, I will then let myself have the feeling and ask what I need. I will tell my body it doesn't have to take it on because I'm now working to see it, feel it, express it, and take care of myself. I will tell my body it doesn't have to take it on. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, it is. The body doesn't have to take on this stuff. That's such a radical thought. You know, my body doesn't have to take this on. My body can go back to being the most wonderful tool we ever had to like live in the world that we live in. Hopefully we get to walk. Hopefully we get to pick up stuff. Hopefully we get to think or breathe or whatever, you know, unless something's wrong, but that we get that our body has enough to do <laughs> without us putting this other pressure on it. And it can just go back to being a body and our emotional body can just be an emotional body. It doesn't have to Take on the world. Right. Jack Cornfield has this wonderful quote, which I'm sure I'm going to butcher, but it's something like, (laughs) you know, here we are with a thousand joys and a thousand sorrows in this lifetime. And isn't it miraculous, the miracle of just incarnating into a body and what a blessing that is and how miraculous that is. And what if we could just stay there in that knowing of how amazing it is to be embodied in this body, what a miracle our body is, the temple. 
It is. And you watch a baby, they are like, oh my God, what is this? Is this a, what is that? You go, this is your hand. And they're like, what? (laughs) What a great thing, you know, or this foot or this ear or this nose. They're just so happy. They do not have this idea that maybe I need to lose a little weight off these thighs. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I so appreciate you taking time out of this incredibly busy life you have going on and talking to us today on this podcast. You know, just like hanging around with you, whether I had a podcast or not today. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lurley, for having me. And thank you for all your continued really good work, the peer education and Beyond Hunger and everything in your podcast. Thank you for continuing to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. That's what we started doing a long time ago. Little did we know we would still be fighting the good fight. I thought we'd fight this fight for 10 years or so, and then it'd be over. We never saw the internet coming or Snapchat or we would have been billionaires had we thought it was going to happen like that. (laughs) We could have gotten on that train. (laughs) Thank you, Carol, and have a blessed day. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's notaboutfood.com. Thanks.